Welcome to Spirits of Whiskey. We explore the wide world of whiskey through the many colorful personalities who make it, promote it, write it, and more. With each podcast, Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward and bartender, and yours truly, Philip Dobar, director of the Cocktail Collection, interview whiskey's most important names. From high-profile makers, blenders, and ambassadors, to out-of-the-way innovators and remote pioneers. Join us as we discover the people and elements that give the water of life its spirit. Today we're talking with Simon Brooking, Scotch brand ambassador of Beam Suntory, representing Ardmore, Alcantoshan, Beaumore, Glengarry, and Laphroaig. That's five single malts, five of the whiskey world's more storied brands. Now, Simon's reportedly a master toastmaker, so I think we can look forward to some lively conversation. But first, it's time for Whiskey Chronicles. Well, the world as we knew it has changed dramatically over the past few months. Events and social gatherings around the world have been postponed, and in some cases postponed twice, and many then have been canceled outright for the entire year. This is the case with the Isla Festival of Malt and Music in Scotland, which is scheduled to take place May 22nd through the 30th. This is the biggest whiskey festival of the year for the island, in which the Laphroaig Distillery plays a prominent role. Our guest today is the U.S. Ambassador for Laphroaig. We'll speak more on that later. But first, we look back in our chronicles to see just how the Laphroaig Distillery came to be. Two brothers, Donald and Alexander Johnston, leased 1,000 acres of land from the Laird of Isla for rearing cattle in the 1810s. That land is now known as Laphroaig. They started to grow barley in order to feed the cattle. But what does one do with a surplus of barley? They distill whiskey, of course. The word spread around Isla that the whiskey being produced at Laphroaig was quite good, and soon it became more profitable to distill whiskey than to raise cattle. So in 1850, Laphroaig whiskey was officially born. 200 years later, in 2015, I visited the distillery during the Isla Festival of Malta Music and got to taste my very first ever whiskey wash. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Master Ambassador for Laphroaig, Simon Brooking, who is also known as a Master Toastmaker. Simon, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm very good, Philip and Kerry. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's been, it's uh-huh. been typically Scottish around here uh, on the East Coast. So, uh, uh-huh. and you're in Brooklyn, uh, I'm correct? in Brooklyn, New York, correct. Um, so you began in Glasgow, but now you're in Brooklyn and presumably with many points in between. Could you tell us about your journey? Absolutely. My dad, uh, was uh, part of the, the engineering boom, which Scotland has long had a uh, history, you know, James Watt and the steam engine and, but he, he was mm-hmm. part of the, the early aeronautic engineering boom. Um, and so, uh, was transferred from Scotland to England to Canada to New York and brought the family with him along the way. Um, and so I consider myself a little bit of a gypsy. I, those, uh, those roots have carried me. Over the sea and across the continent as well. I spent some time in Seattle for a few years before settling back in New York. Here in New York is where I I got my first job uh, working for Dewar's as a brand Mm -hmm. ambassador 23 years ago now. That goes to the roots of the whole, the, perhaps the birth of the whole notion of the spirits ambassador. It was the very, very early years. And 
And actually, um, when I went in for the interview, they were looking at trying to bring people over from Scotland, but there were visa challenges, but they, they discovered here I was living in New York. I had the kilt. I had the accent. Mm-hmm. I drank whiskey. Uh, <laughs> I, I ticked off all the boxes. Um, and Have kilt, will yeah, represent. And so the evening was going to, uh, was uh, an evening. They set it up in a warehouse space in the garment district in Manhattan. Uh, they had set up 10 bars, horseshoe-shaped bars, with 10 bartenders, and then a, a stage. Um, the the evening opened with uh, a Jewish comedian, which I thought was rather interesting for a night of scotch. Um, and then I came on as the uh, whiskey expert. And to gain that knowledge, they sent me back to Scotland, and I trained with the master blender for, for viewers at the time really when I took my first steps um, uh, in in the in the Scotch world uh, on the production side of it learned all sorts of great things David Howie was his name can we go back to Seattle for a moment what took you to Seattle uh, my graduate training with the professional actor training program so I I grew up with a theater background and uh, mm-hmm. so I, it took me to the University of Washington, Seattle there. Um, okay. And uh, where did you do undergrad? Uh, upstate New York, Fredonia. So you're a thespian by training? Um, for the first half of and by for the first half and of my, by first profession. Yeah, first half of my life, I was. Uh, and and it's an interesting. I think it's interesting to note that you, with many of the brand ambassadors uh, across the industry that many of the most successful brand ambassadors come from a performance background. Uh, the, mm. the like uh, uh, Andy Weir, uh, the likes of Martin Dadas, um, Johnny the Scott Mundell. Um, Johnny Mundell. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Love Johnny. Um, and uh, um, Bernie Lubbers in the bourbon industry, mm-hmm. you know, is still a stand-up comic. And I think it's, to me, it's just having, understanding how to, not just to present, but to be getting the message across. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, it's very important to, to you know, we like to say, you got to play to the little old lady in the back row. You got to make sure that, you know, right. that, uh, uh, that you are clear, concise, and it's about storytelling. And so much of the spirits industry uh, is, is about telling the story of, of your product, the story of our whiskey. And that's what sure because differentiate there are so many brands in the market now that differentiation is the greatest challenge I think yep absolutely you know because for us in Scotland we all make this whiskey basically the same way it's uh, you know uh, barley water yeast and and then it's those <laughs> slight variations that, that that make make up the distinction um, and the, the stories really help to to bring the spirit to life and and mm-hmm. and the storytellers really bring the store the the spirit to life yeah. as well the stories are so rich and deep and you know we've just been we're hoping to see the light in the current crisis that we're in right now mm. and yet you look at the likes of a distillery like Laphroaig and Beaumore that have been around over 200 years and the changes and the challenges on a global scale uh, that they have weathered through, it really is an enduring symbol for these whiskies to 
to to serve as an example and uh, as giving hope to some of these other distillers that are trying to weather through it. Back to being an ambassador, again, we've established that you were there at the beginning of the creation of that role in the spirits industry. So you were sort of in a place to help define the role through your work. I'm sure, I'm sure management had an idea of what they needed, but you probably, you know, I'm sure they were right in some respects and wrong in others. Uh, and you, you played a role in defining that. Um, can you talk about that and how it's evolved to the present day? Absolutely. So the early years and, and, and after Dewar's, I then w- went over and through working at the marketing arm for Diageo in New York, uh, I was hired as one of the original um, brand ambassadors for Diageo. I was working on a local level, but there was a national team which w- was comprised of the likes uh, Rick Edwards uh, in Southern California, Stephen Beal oh. in Northern California, Marcy Rutterhausen in Miami, Spike McClure uh, in, in New York as well. Um, so we had Midwest as well. Um, and so uh, we were all working on a regional level, but there was a training trip to bring us back to Scotland. And that was with uh, a trainer that was brought along, along with, um, of course, uh, Evan Katnack, um, who a, a dear, a dear friend and an, an, uh, an amazing man in the business who worked at many of the top distilleries uh, from the Diageo days, uh, whether it be Lagavulin or uh, working at uh, Dalwini, um, he worked at quite a number of those distilleries. So he was the lead for this trip over to Scotland to visit, of course, all of the Diageo distilleries um, and uh, to learn about them and to learn how to present. And we, so we were on a coach, on a bus, traveling through the highlands and uh, and out to Isla. And this trainer that was on the, the coach with us was, um, her job was to make sure that we were up to uh, our standards and our knowledge base to be able to, uh, to be able to present when we got back to the U.S., um, and this put the fear of God in all of the all of the ambassadors. <laughs> they were because there were there were um, uh, pop up quizzes that were happening all the time, anytime, on the bus, off the bus, and it really worried the the ambassadors so much so that they spent all their time. And this was back when we didn't, didn't have phones and Google. You, you just had books and written notes. Um, so they were in the books and they had their nose in the books the whole time. As we were driving through the highlands and the lowlands of Scotland, they were missing everything. <laughs> I was going to say, they're missing they all the beautiful missing scenery. They were missing everything because they just needed to make sure that they were, uh, uh, they were going to pass the test. I noticed this, and my friend Spike McClure, who is an American but has spent some time in Scotland, um, we we were concerned. I was concerned that the ex- the experience that these new visitors to Scotland that were bringing the the Scottish experience back to the United States, the experience that they were going through was they couldn't wait to get back to the U.S. because they were just terrified of 
of the exams that they were being put through. And that was my concern was they were going to be taking back a, a negative experience of Scotland. So we got to, um, uh, we were about three quarters of the way through the trip and, um, and people were just, just miserable. Um, and so we got to Cardew, which is the home of Johnny Walker, Cardew, right? And a beautiful mm-hmm. distillery, just a jewel box of a distillery. Um, and Ian Williamson, uh, he w- welcomes us at the door. Please welcome to the home. Um, the home of Johnny Walker and of Cardew. Uh, you, this is your home, is our home. If, if Our home is your home. If there anything that you need, please let us know. And so Spike and I had had the conversation and we, we took Ian aside and said, listen, these folks here are just miserable. And that's the experience they're going to take back to the United States. So Ian spoke to um, uh, Evan Katnack and said, listen, please let them enjoy the rest of here in Scotland. Um, and uh, I mean, yes, there is a lot to be learned. There's a, there's, there's a lot of knowledge gained. And particularly, I think, f- for all the, the book learning that you do and those that you can watch on YouTube, where you really learn is when you are there present, when you are standing in the distillery, when you are standing, Kerry, right. um, uh, you're standing on the dock at Lafroig. You, you understand you, you're there. Yeah. It, it, you absorb so much more through the through your pores and through your soul about you know absolutely so, absolutely uh, they, they were given a reprieve they were told just please uh you know soak it all in uh, throw the books away um uh, and the other part of of the uh, the early years was the the regions of scotland to be able to put with as many distilleries of as diageo have in in their portfolio, we were able to talk about the various regions of Scotland and have a representative whiskey from each of those regions. And that was truly a golden time for uh, for, yeah. for the early years. What um, year was this? So that would have been uh, 96, 97. was doing primarily uh, the New York metro area, but then I expanded my territory to to the the east coast and then eventually uh started doing national uh Mm. events for diageo um but uh i was looking for opportunity i was looking for a new perspective and that was when uh jim beam brands at that time was looking for an ambassador for the dalmore um and again they were looking overseas but uh Issues with visas uh, made it very somebody over from Scotland, and through my local connections in New York, somebody had mentioned to the uh, the folks at Jim Beam that hey, there's this guy Simon who's who's looking for uh, uh, looking for opportunity, and so they brought me in. They they came to our uh, came to one of my presentations. They loved the work that I did and uh, offered me the the role of uh, national ambassador for the Dalmore. Okay. So I went from a stable of Diageo's massive stable of, you know, 20, at that time, 26 distilleries plus the blends. Sure. To, it's the largest, it's the largest global spirits portfolio. Yeah. To one, to one single malt distillery. The Dow. <laughs> you, you uh, went craft as it were. <laughs> I, I did. And, 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 and so wait, that would have been. What year was um, that in? 
around 2002. So I got to work uh, with an amazing distillery manager at uh, at Dalmore, uh, Drew Sinclair, who literally uh, a month after he retired, he passed away. I think it was because his his life had no meaning anymore now that he was he was a lifetime career whiskey man and just a lovely man with a huge heart and his his i think his heart broke when he retired um but the other gentleman that was really instrumental for me was mr richard patterson the nose uh you know between the likes of himself and jim McEwen, and uh i mean i think those two really kind of top uh top the category and and being classy at the same time Richard Patterson really, to me, uh, just personifies class and style and um, and panache. Mm-hmm. I think is Richard, uh, you know, um, and he's legendary uh, now. Yeah, absolutely. When Beam purchased the Allied Demek brands, that was mm-hmm. the Maker's Mark, Sousa, Canadian Club, mm-hmm. um, Cobassier. Uh, uh, teachers and Lafroig, and with mm-hmm. teachers came uh, the Ardmore brand, um, which uh, up to this point had not been sold as a commercial brand. With that acquisition, they went from Beam Jim Beam Brands to Beam Global. To Beam Global, uh, sure. And um, so they sold off the Dalmore, which they had distribution rights. They didn't actually outright own the distillery. Brought on the other. Ardmore and Lafroig. And so um, I went from the Highland Dalmore to two peated whiskies, Ardmore being peated Highland and Lafroig being, of course, peated Isla. So along with that, Connemara came on board. And this was so, what year that Beam went from Beam to Beam Global? I believe it was 2008. So suddenly now we've got an Irish peated, uh, a Highland peated, and, uh, and an Isla peated. So there, there was some interesting, that was when I was looking at uh, the opportunity for promoting what we were calling the peated malts of distinction, uh, because we had this peated portfolio and peaty whiskies were starting to come into their own. Uh, Friends of Lafoig as a concept is great fun. Uh, can you talk about that and also whether becoming a member is an effective means of investing in Scottish real estate? <laughs> I, I know a lot of folks who who've come to Scotland for the first time and absolutely fall in love. I mean, it, mm-hmm. uh, Carrie, I'm not sure when. That, that's, that was me. Totally yep. me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, uh, you know, living on the island, on Whiskey Island, can be a little bit more challenging. Um, uh, in the current, current situation, uh, Isla is the place to be. We invented social distancing on Isla. <laughs> uh, but if you become a member, if you become a friend of Lafroy, you get one square foot. A square foot, yes. a whole square foot. And and it's a great program. It was a program that was initiated by uh, one of the legends in the industry, Ian Henderson, um, during his tenure at Lafroig. Um And he decided that he wanted to create this this advocacy program. There really was no visitor center at the time. Uh, but if you made the trip, uh, and uh, hard to believe that, that at one time nobody went to Isla, um, but uh, if you did make the trip, you, you made it across, um, he would always welcome you and give you basically the keys to the kingdom. 
and give you the VI. Everybody would get the VIP tour with Ian. Um, but it, so it was his idea to, to create this program um, that that uh, through some of the uh, relationships with some of the marketing companies within the art of the companies, similar to what Makers Mark was doing with um, uh, with their program. But what's unique for us at Lafroig is that square foot of land that some days you come to visit your square foot, you might need scuba gear to actually get to it. <laughs> um, because we are at, uh, at at sea level or below. And uh, when you get a lot of rain, the field can be overwhelmed with water. Um, so... Uh, Marshlandish, you might say? <laughs> Marshlandish, yes, absolutely. Uh, yes. I, I think for our listeners, uh, I, I would benefit from knowing that, that Isla is in the inner Hebrides. That is correct. So it's very much a maritime it affair. It is the southernmost of the, the Hebridean islands. The one sunny day of the year, you can look south from our distillery at Lafroy and see Bally Castle, Northern Ireland, 35 miles away. Mm. We are that close to Ireland and just far enough away. <laughs> but um but yes so we we've done events and uh carrie in 2015 when you were there uh, we had our isla whiskey festival we, yep. we invited as many friends of lafroy to come and uh for a gathering and we had 300 people showed up were you one of them? No, I. but I almost signed up to be a friend of Lefroy, but I was like, hmm, do I want to have a spot on the island or do I want to have a spot on Bayside? <laughs> so I, I didn't I didn't get one, but um, I was very much thinking about it because it's both both areas. The whole the whole country of Scotland is just gorgeous. Yeah. So it, it's it's now become a matter of pride for a lot of Lefroy drinkers in terms of how many. Technically, you only get one square foot, but I know some friends of Lafroigs who have deeded uh, the additional square foot to their dog or to their goldfish. Um, <laughs> so, and uh, you know, to show you the, the the passion and the allegiance to to Lafroig, uh, that year of the gathering, uh, I carried ash, uh, gentleman's ashes over from Seattle, who's a friend of. And we, we oh, wow. spread ashes on his plot and raised a glass to his spirit. Oh, that's sweet. You know, to me, to me that speaks to the passion that people travel will travel the world and beyond for a dram of the finest. So, so, we, yeah. so we don't call it Pete anymore. We call it Larry. <laughs> mm. So the friends of Lefroy get, as I read it, they get one square foot of uh, prime Isla real estate plus a complimentary draft at the tasting and room. There, there's an important okay. part of the, the square foot, the land itself, is that we are, you as a friend of Lafroig, you're protecting the land from the robber barons down the road at Lagavulin because uh, in the, <laughs> the, the late 1800s, uh, Lagavulin attempted a, a takeover. They stole one of our stillmen. They recreated a, a, a similar style of still to Lefroig because Lefroig was very much in demand for blending purposes at the time. And they dammed up our laid, our burn, our stream to the uh, and redirected it over to uh, the Lagavulin distillery. So we actually ended up having to take them to court to get our water source back. So okay. by staking your claim as a as a friend of Lafroig, you're you're protecting uh, uh, you're protecting our you, land. 
you are definitely so the, being a friend of yes. Wabag. <laughs> Indeed. The, the I Love Whiskey Wars. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, at one time there were, in the 19th century, there were 20 distilleries um, on Isla. Um, and the biggest challenge today with more distilleries going going in is it goes back to the water. Having enough water. I'll take people up. We we have a, a great tour, with which is the Water to Whiskey Tour. And you hike up to the Kilbride Dam, which is our uh, where we save our water that flows down from Loch Ben Nabris up in the hills. And it flows down the Kilbride Dam. And I'll see people up in the m- middle of the summer, and it'll be a mud flat. And, you know, that was historically, traditionally, when we would shut the distilleries down, that's what we would call silent season. But uh, every distillery has its own silent season, depending on the availability of water. So uh, that's always the biggest concern, is uh, how much water is going to be used, and if you're going to be drawing from somebody else's water source. Yeah, at least, you know, it's not like California where we don't have any of that. Right, exactly. <laughs> we have no water. There's never water. We know, we know nothing of water right. shortages. Yeah, so we, we, don't, we don't have Arizona next to Isla to be able to. Yes, we just take it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember when I was there, I just was astonished at how people would just leave the water running in the bathrooms. And everyone's just like, and they and the restaurants would just keep refilling your water without asking. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm just I'm not used to this. <laughs> Like, I'm like, turn off the water, you're wasting water. Okay, well, I wanted to ask you, with the current state of the world and uh, COVID-19, you've been in the industry a long time. Where do you see it going and how do you think that it's changing currently because of the COVID-19 crisis? Uh, well, I think there's a lot of levels where things, it, it's affecting a lot of different layers within the industry. If we're looking at the, the Kush whiskey industry. Certainly, um, we've we've had to shut down our distilleries uh, temporarily in Scotland um, to make sure that our workers are safe. When the distilleries are up and running, you're talking uh, seven to eight men and women making the whiskey, which is not a lot. But then the the social distancing needs to be taken into consideration, and that's what's being that's uh, what's being revamped at the distilleries. Ways of working are being revamped uh, as we speak. The liquid will continue to be distilled. We will be producing whiskey. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've got through many, many crises over the last 200 years. You know, not only not only the the, the volcanic eruption uh, in 1815, but but uh, also you know bad seasons of crops uh in in the the late uh the the, the late nineteenth century uh actually it became an opportunity for us because the phylloxera plague wiped out all the vineyards of France and that for us uh that's when Scotch whiskey came into uh, popularity because scotch and soda became the drink of fashion um you know wow. um uh, world war um or two Auchentoshan on the River Clyde, you know, the uh, Glasgow and the River Clyde was a major uh, hub center for shipbuilding. And Auchentoshan, uh, unfortunately, was uh, in the sights of the bombers as they made their bombing raids up the River Clyde mm-hmm. and actually took out one of our warehouses and took out the top half of one of the um, 
the residences on the on the property. So when you come to Alcantosh and you'll see a a, a one uh, a ground floor building that doesn't have a roof to it, and that was as a result of the mm -hmm. the bombing blitzes, the bombing raids. But and we survived it. Um, so uh, mm -hmm. I, I think um, as well as prohibition, uh, American prohibition. Pro a what? <laughs> Prohibition again was another opportunity for us. Although Ian Hunter, our distillery manager in the early uh, early 20th century, uh, put Lafroig on the map globally. Uh, he was the last of the the uh, Johnston uh, clan. Um, he uh, really put major. Uh, um, improvements on the distillery basically the footprint of the distillery today is a result of the work and the expansion that ian hunter put uh, on lafroig in the early 1900s and he discovered bourbon barrels uh, came to kentucky mm -hmm. um and as a result started br bringing bourbon barrels back to back to scotland and back to lafroig um right which trans which transformed how um, Scotch whiskey is aged. Yeah, I mean, he he was a little bit ahead of the curve. Uh, it wasn't until after Prohibition, uh, when the law in here in the U.S. Uh, only allowed you to use it once. So the Scotch industry said, "Perfect, send them over to us. We can reuse them. We're thrifty. We we Scots. Right. You know, it's how right. copper wire was invented. Two Scotsmen fighting over a penny. Uh, it was <laughs> so. Keep those barrels. We'll reuse them." Um, because of prohibition, um, actually, uh, Ian Hunter was able to get uh, a legal prescription for Lafroig from for your doctor from your doctors during prohibition uh, in the United States, um, and uh, because people, the the politicians would smell our whiskey and say, "Oh yeah, it must be for pouring on wounds." Uh, <laughs> I say you yeah. drink it, it's going to go to your wound and anything else that might be ailing you at that time. How long has the distilleries been shut down so far and do you guys have a reopen date? Uh, I, I, can't, I can't speak specifically on the reopen date, uh, but uh, we're hoping the end of May. Um, uh, it looks like we'll be shut down for about six weeks time. Um. Cocktails. Tell us, do you have favorites? I, I, I never ask someone what their favorite cocktail is because people are always asking me, what's your favorite cocktail? And my standard response is, as if. Right, right. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> as in, why would I limit myself? So, so talk to us a bit about uh, cocktails. You know, you work for a massive global spirits portfolio. And a bit of a side question about your how does your work fit into um you know, that massive portfolio. So anyway, if you could maybe fold all of that in and talk about cocktails and maybe other spirits. Sure, absolutely. To your point of favorite, it, it's, uh, Philip, I would say, what what are you drinking these days? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. what's your current? <laughs> what, what, cur um, I made a variation on a Vucare recently uh, mm -hmm. using Alcantosh and Three Wood. Um, and uh, nice. I was do I did it in in tribute to Tartan Week, uh, which was part of mm -hmm. Tartan Day. Uh, Tartan Day is a national day of recognition in the United States. It was a Scottish senator who decided he wanted to pay tribute, and April sixth is Tartan Day, 
which um, in New York is celebrated with Tartan Week. And we have the one of the largest uh, pipers, per, piping parades up Sixth Avenue in the world every year. So in uh, tribute to that, um, I, I made this cocktail and uh, I called it the Old Square, which is what uh, Rue Carré translates into, which um, highlights the, the, the idea of the tartan, the plaid, the, 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 mm-hmm. the tartan pattern, those overlaying of, mm-hmm. of squares. And there's also, there's also the alliance the, the between France and Scotland. Um, so I was uh-huh. using um, ounce of alcohol, wood, an ounce of Crevoisier, a sweet vermouth, dashes Angostura bitters, Peychaud's bitters, and a little bit of a Benedictine rinse. Ray- mm-hmm. And love. And of course, I grew up. I grew oh, up in yes, New Orleans, so this this resonates. <laughs> this resonates with me deeply. <laughs> um, and uh, th- th- another one. It's called Blood in the Water, uh, and it was done with uh, Lafroig, Maraschino liqueur, a grapefruit juice and uh, blackstrap bitters in a Collins glass shaken and then you top it with an Amaro di Angostura Um, and then he brilliantly cut out this grapefruit swath into the shape of a shark. Uh, This this week you've got julep season and um, and that actually reminds me of uh, we did uh, a julep at Tales of the Cocktail one year and uh, mm-hmm. it was uh, juleps from around the world. So we had a Canadian club julep. We had an Irish julep. And our um, Lafroig mint julep was a macerated pineapple. Uh, and it, uh, it was oh, a wow. hit, hit of the julep. Everybody was talking about it. I could imagine. Um, Simon, I do have another question here for you. Uh, you've earned the title of Scotch Whiskey Ambassador of the Year at least, what, 10, 12 times? How many times have you had it, and how do you keep maintaining well, I actually, winning from, such an honor? The, I won Global one year and have been commended a number of years, uh, highly commended. Um, I have, I'm old now, so I just, the older you get, <laughs> I'm just... I mean, you're, you're no, you're no, I mean, all screes, but you've been in the business a I while. Um, so endurance, it, it may be, you know, that that's I've just withstood the test of time. I'm like the. You've also been known to be a toastmaster. How long have you kind of had that nickname, and 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 how um, did that come to? Well, be? I'm raising class quite often, uh, and um, <laughs> professionally. professionally. But but because uh, I've done so many of these thousands of them over the, over the years now, so often I get people who oh I've got a toast. Um, I'm also going to save it and 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 give <laughs> and, and reference and give thanks to those the toasts that they have, you know. Well, Simon, clearly your masterful storytelling is proof that your reputation as a toast maker is well deserved. Can you leave us with a toast in Gaelic? Absolutely. Smal and chena, antrinov a kunig a chien a korschi and chalak and tai. Anchelak an Antia Anok Oh an Antia Anok Agus Gak Antia Gakun Antia And the translation means smoring the fire, keeping the fire burning. The sacred three to save, to shield, to surround, the hearth, the house, the household. This eve, this night, oh this eve, this night and every night 
each single night. Amen. All right. Uh, Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We've uh, really enjoyed our very long <laughs> chat. And uh, we plan to uh, catch up with you in the future and see how things are going post Well, Philip and Carrie, thanks so much for having me on the Spirits of Whiskey. World of Wheezy is up next. Stay with us. As many of you know, Spirits of Whiskey was born of the COVID-19 pandemic, which forced us to suspend production on the pilot episode of Whiskey, A Chef's Journey. The host of that television series, award-winning chef Louise Leonard, joins us here each week for World of Wheezy, or culinary handle, to discuss food pairing and cooking with some of the whiskeys we cover on the podcast. That plus the odd bit of cocktail talk. Hey, Louise, thanks for joining us today. We talked to Simon Brooking with a whole bunch of uh, different distillers, including Lafroig and Akintoshin. And uh, he told us about two different wonderful cocktails that he's had recently with these expressions. Um, can you tell us what you think you would pair with them? I sure can. I'm going to start with the old square. This play on the classic Le Carre that I've actually had at the Hotel Monte Leon in New Orleans was very intriguing to me. And somehow I got to thinking about pairing a bitter chocolate and chili truffle with this. Um, I feel like mm. the Carvassier of the orange, some bitter chocolate, a little bit of heat from a Chile de Arbol, all in a little powerful little chocolate nib would be amazing Yum. to go with this drink after a rich meal. That sounds amazing. What do you think about the blood in the water? So the blood in the water, I haven't had this drink, but after reading about it, I am completely intrigued. Uh, the idea of smokiness, bitterness, grapefruit juice all happening at the same time. It's a very cool name. So I immediately thought, well, I've got to do some type of fish with this dish. I would probably do a grilled, like, fatty fish of sorts, like a black cod or even a, a good wild salmon um, with some caramelized fennel and tomato compote. I love the taste of fennel and grapefruit together. And I think with the grill, uh, a little bit of grill char on some fish to go with the smokiness would be outstanding. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us some ideas for recipes with these cocktails. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Sounds great. We'll chat soon. Well, everyone, that does it for our first ever Spirits of Whiskey podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tune in next time and hit subscribe. Please visit our website to see our show notes on today's podcast at spiritsofwhiskey.com. That's whiskey with an E. We will include a video of my first time ever tasting whiskey wash at the Lafroig Distillery, as well as Simon's cocktail recipes. As always, you can see our upcoming topics and guest roster and links to past shows. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. Spirits of Whiskey is a production of First Real Entertainment and the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available on Anchor, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts can be heard.